Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate, and joining us now with answers to all your home repair questions are Larry Ubell and Al Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. The company has inspected over 30,000 structures for over 2,000 attorneys, numerous real estate organizations, architectural and engineering firms, and private citizens. And they're here now to solve the uh, most common household mysteries and to offer their expert advice to you, our listeners. You can give us a call. Start right now, if you wish, at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Alan Larry, it's always uh, informative and fun when you're on our show. I'm very pleased to have you back. Well, thank you for having us. It's great to always great to be here. Now, I understand that uh, a law was passed, a local law, uh, 110 of 2019, uh, as part of the New York City Living Safely program. That's right. Can, can you explain that and how it applies to what we discuss here? It is, it is something unusual, and I think it, it's, a, it's a great communication between the city of New York and, uh, and also between the occupants or tenants of a, bi- of a building and also uh, the, the landlord. What in this particular uh, local law 110 of uh, 2019 last year, is that the landlord has an obligation to list or and take uh, of all the violations that the city has imposed upon the building and post them in the public space or the public hallway, possibly near the mailbox or someplace or where they enter into the building, and so that all of the tenant population will have an idea of what's going on in the in the building. That That's a good way to scare occupied. landlords. Yeah, because most of the violations that are put on by uh, uh, HPD, Housing Preservation and De- Development, is uh, th- uh, things that are could be life-threatening. It could be injurious to them. It could be uncomfortable, like anything like not having heat. Uh, the something doesn't work. The elevator is not working. The stairs are broken. The windows are broken. There's no there's no heat, hot water. There's no all these things shall be listed in the public space. But what it also does is that when someone's thinking to rent in that building, they have an idea of what kind of uh, attention the landlord or the management company has to building maintenance. And if you see a list of all these items, now many of these items are very serious, but many of them can be minor, but they're still issues that need to be addressed. And it gives you an idea of how the landlord or the management company are dealing with these numerous issues. For example, an apartment entry door cannot have a keyed locking device on the living side of the door. That means that uh, you you can't lock the door with a key inside right. and that would really make sense because if there's a fire or something like that you don't want to have to go searching for a key you just want to be able to open well, the what door. A exactly lot of, what exactly a, that's what, what it's all about what a lot of people do is because they don't have the right kind of lock at the time of installation they put one of those locks in and usually normally you leave the, the key in the lock but let's say someone removes that key mm-hmm. Then what do you do? And if someone removed the key inadvertently, they're certainly not telling anybody where they put it. And so it's very dangerous. Another thing, all all uh, apartment access doors must have peepholes 
They all have. If you see a door without a people, that's a violation. They all also must be self-closing doors. So that's also, if it doesn't have that, that's also a violation. The, 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 Self-closing what? means that when you close the door... When you open the door, it closes by itself. Uh-huh. The, the, oh, the greatest really? thing that I see about this new, uh, this new local law is that the, the super or the uh, agent that is managing the building uh, or whoever uh, and the landlord themselves uh, can't come up to a, 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 to a tenant or something and say, oh, I don't know about that violation mm. when it's posted in the public spaces. That's, that's called notice. That's not what they call constructive notice. It's direct notice. A reminder that if you want to speak to Al and Larry, our number here is 212-209-2877. Another uh, interesting rule is a bedroom must have an open, uh, a window that you can open uh, of at least 10% of the room area ratio. Uh, yeah, th- that's what, what that means is that you have to have a window size. That the, the whole window doesn't have to be open, but it has to be an openable window that uh, fresh air can come into the room. And also having a window that is 10% room area ratio uh, means that you have enough light to come into the, that room. You're not sleeping in a closet. So what happens if somebody uh, has a place that was the attic or is the basement? You're not allowed to sleep. You're not allowed to, you can't have a basement there are apartment? A places well, you, well, hold on. Before we say that, let's define our terms because okay. that's also a problem. In New York City, they, there is a definition of the difference between a basement and a cellar. A basement is more than 10%, more than 50% above grade. A cellar is more than 50% below grade. A basement is allowed to be lived in if if it's defined as a basement. So yes, you are allowed to live in basements. You are not allowed to live in a cellar. Okay. Well, you're not allowed to live even in a basement if it doesn't have that window uh, condition and it doesn't have pri- proper ventilation. Uh, a cellar is absolutely you can't you can't sleep in a place like that because all of a sudden you're sleeping in a cellar which usually has a mechanical equipment, elevator equipment, or maybe a boiler or something like that. But all that doesn't matter if it's a cellar. You can't, you can't live in it. But the reason for, Put for your that wine enactment in of that law <laughs> or that ruling is that you can wind up dead in the morning. Because, uh, for example, in a cellar, that's where the boiler usually is. The, yes. and, and all sorts of possibilities of of, uh, of, of gases <laughs> yes, killing but I, you. But I also have to say that today a lot, a lot of buildings are built without any gas-fired equipment. There are plenty of electric buildings now in the city of New York. I see them all the time. Still, if you have a cellar down there and those cellars are heated and cooled by uh, mini-split air conditioning heat pump units, you're still not allowed to live down there. Yeah, because the other thing is, if you don't have all those other kinds of things that we talked about, uh, it could cause, suppose there's a flood in the middle of the night. You yeah. don't know about it. And all of a sudden, you wake up in the morning, you roll, roll off the bed, you're in a pond of water. Uh-huh. And, and since there's electricity it, down it, there, you could get uh, electrocuted. You could get an added problem. Uh, again, our number, 212-209-2877. Should we take some calls? I'd love to. Okay. BAI, you're on the air. What's up? Hello? Yes, hi. Okay, you know, you're mentioning something that is very broad because you have codes, building codes. You right. You have a fire code, you have a health code, and you have other codes. In many cases, some of the people that live in these buildings live in multiple dwellings, 
and regular townhouse type houses. Yes. The issue is that the building codes will have to be re-advised again because you got co-ops coming into the picture, which really runs for a problem because now the tenant owns the building, and the issue is where does the fire laws come into being and where these buildings now are yes. built where they're not even up to a standard anymore. Do the violations have to no, be posted well, in a co-op building? Yes, they yes. do. And I have to say, the buildings department does not recognize the difference between co-ops, condos, and owned buildings. As far as they're concerned, the building is one entity. Multiple dwelling. Right. It's a multiple dwelling. It's one entity. It has one certificate of occupancy. And that building whether it has a violation in one apartment, in the common space, or what have you, it's still the it's still the responsibility of the building owner, which in the case of a co-op is the co-op and the co-op board. In the case of a condo, it's a condo and the condo board. As far as updating the codes, the codes were just updated to the 2012, 2000, uh, 2008, 2012 ICC code, and that is the code we're operating under now. Now, he brings up an interesting point, is that New York City operates under five different codes. Mm. The first code is no code at all. Any building that was built before 1916 does not have to comply to any code. Now, that's saying with the codicil that any updating in the building that has gone on has to comply. So if you put electricity in, that has to comply. You put plumbing in, that has to comply. But the building... If, if it's still running under the way it was built when it was first built, that's the code. How many cabins do we have in New no, York City? No, brownstones. Every brownstone in the city of New York was built before 1916. Yeah, but they've all been upgraded. Yeah, those have to comply. Let me finish talking. Then we also have the 1916 code, 38 code, 68 code, and now the new ICC code. Yeah, but even if even if the building was built in, in 1850 or 1820, mm-hmm. there is also the maintenance code of the state of New York and the city of New York. you got to take care of the building. What even if it, there's no code controlling the building uh, as far as upgrade is concerned, but if the building falls into disrepair, that has to be corrected and taken care of and bring it back to something but that no, is only usable. Bring it back that to is the, reasonably safe. But only bring it back to the code under which it was built. Is yes, the caller still there? No. Oh, sorry. We, sorry, we lost him. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's take another call. Yes. Hi, you're on the air. Afternoon, guys. What's up? Um, I wonder if you could help me. I'm, I'm dealing with a tenant, uh, a tenant, uh, um, a neighbor in a rental property that uh, is consistently. I have water coming under the party wall for the last 15 years. I complained to him. It seems like it stops, and then it starts up again. He doesn't let anybody in. Uh, Sometimes it seems like it's clear water, and then the waste water. I don't want to sue him, but it seems like I'm going to do it because the last. So let me ask you a question. I, I, I got the I got the picture of what's going on, and it's horrible, and I feel bad. But let me the ask water you. Water table. Let, let me ask you a couple. To do with the, yeah, I'm, let me ask you a question. This property next door is this a separately owned property? Yes. Okay. My feeling is is that you know, I know you don't want to sue him, but if this is a, a sewerage, this might be a health department issue. And health department seems to have a lot of power that many of the other local agencies don't because when it comes to common and public health, they tend to have a lot of power. And I would say that this uh, adjacent property, I would call the health department and say that this adjacent property is creating a health hazard for you and your occupants of your 
uh, space. And I would take it from there because, you know, not every other every Sounds other agent, terrible. every other agency needs to get a warrant, whether it be the fire, whether it be the sorry, the police department or the buildings department or whatever to get into someone's property. But the health department and fire department don't need warrants because that's a public health issue. So I would actually try to contact them. Yes, Al? Yes, but the other thing is that that whatever water is coming into it, the water will have to be tested to find out what kind of water it is. I mean, that collect a sample in some Mm -hmm. way and send it off to a laboratory, and they'll tell you almost immediately what the where the water comes. If it's if it's city water, it's going to have chlorine in it. If it's sewage water, it's going to have other things. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not. I don't need to go to a lab to tell sewage water. Yes, that's true. I really don't. I don't know about you, but I can tell sewage. There's a little smelling. Pretty, pretty. You know, you know. I'm so glad we didn't step in it. I'm just going to say, but that's the. I don't mean to make light, and I have to say that that is the direction I would go in is with the health department because this is a health issue. Do you, okay. have any, do you have anybody you can steer me that can hold my hand through this process? I would start. I would start with just. I would start with just three one one. Let's start there. Call three one one. Say you want to speak to the health department. I have a health issue, and see how it goes from there. But I yeah. don't know anyone particularly. I'm sorry. Yeah, any uh, and that three one one is a very interesting thing. If anyone has a problem with a uh, with a landlord with a with a, a, another tenant, has a trouble with, a, with the street, has a trouble with anything about structural things, call 311 and tell them you have a problem and describe it to the best of your ability and they will respond. The city has an obligation to protect all of our citizens, not just a few. Okay, thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Uh, you're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York. FM, listener-sponsored, and uh, non-commercial radio. Mm -hmm. And we're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. My guests are Al and Larry Ubell. Okay, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's up? Hello? Yes. Yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, Yes, very well. Okay, I'm in the North Bronx, and I just want to say that I'm in. Um, I really like my neighborhood where I'm at, and I want to stay here. I um, this is a private uh, development. This is not a NYCHA building I'm in. It's one of those uh, two, three stories new developments that were built like 2004, 2005, uh-huh. and I'm on the second floor. So this is a private company. Right. So started with last January. I had no heat, and I gave the landlord many attempts to fix. Uh, that issue. Mm-hmm. I went away for the week. For a week, came back. Still no no problem with the heat. Uh-huh. Uh, I had mold as well. Yes. So I called three one one as you said, and they're very prompt. I have to say, your last caller. I encourage them to call three one one, and even your assemblyman can um, advise you. But they came out the next day. They didn't play around. They came in and looked at my apartment. I didn't know they look at everything, not just what I called about. They saw the mold on my ceiling. It's mm-hmm. been damaged since Sandy, and that's how many years ago? Nineteen years ago? 20, 2013. So I gave the, the landlord that many chances to yes. fix the drip. So they cited him on the mold, and they gave me a new uh, hot, you know, hot water heater. But okay. what my landlord did do, as soon as the inspector left, he handed me a new lease. Mind you, my lease was up for three, four months. He didn't bother me. I paid him on time. I never missed a rent mm-hmm. in 15 years. Mm-hmm. He slapped me with a 350 increase, $350. I said, what is this? How do you justify this? This feels like retaliation to me. No explanation, no nothing. 
Mm-hmm. After many months of research with Klein's office, my friend, I found out that I can go to Fordham Plaza in the Bronx, uh-huh. get the history of the building, because I just want justification, because all I wanted was heat. I did nothing wrong. Right. And I found out my one of my bedrooms has no windows. It has a vent. And I was told by different I hear different things. I heard that's illegal. I heard. Oh, that it is. Hold on. Things. Let let's slow down a second. Let me just let's okay. say that. Yeah, I know you, you're unpacking a lot here, but because, I just want to say that uh, this is for all people that a room without a window is not a bedroom. So I per, didn't know that. yeah, well, that's why I'm saying it out loud to everybody in case they're trying to keep up with what you're saying. Is that right. if you don't have a window, so when they advertise an apartment, let's say as a two bedroom, and one of those rooms does not have a window in it. That is not a bedroom. So I, therefore, I you're. I about that. He said there's a vent. That doesn't know. A vent yes. does not do it. He's lying to you. Lie, lie, exactly. lie. He's lying exactly. to you. The yeah. bigger issue is that now yeah. I have three different complaints. Docket number has been accepted at Gertz Plaza. You know about Great. that process, right? Yeah. I've never been through this before. I was a homeowner in Albany. I moved mm-hmm. to the Bronx. My mother was sick. Long story short, he's pressuring me now to take it away. He's calling me in. Taking what away? Okay, which is right across the street, their managing office. He wants me to take the complaint away. Now he's offering me a lower rent, wants to negotiate. So that must mean I have a good case again. Yeah, it does. And you know what? But you still don't have the window in your bedroom. Yeah. yeah. No, my, my complaint is not even about that. It well, started with heat, and it's overcharge and the wrong lease. The, That's what my complaints are. All right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not. We're not lawyers here. But however, however, that lawyers, sounds like it sounds like a harassment procedure that exactly. the uh, landlord and his agents or whoever to get together are are putting together onto you uh, immediately. I, I, you could call the the city of New York again on that harassment complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, depending upon your resources, you they may assign you an attorney, or if you have resources, you it may be uh, advantageous for you to get a uh, uh, an attorney to represent you on this matter. I, I, let me touch on that. I went to an attorney. Uh, his firm is called Goldberg and Associates there in uh, Grand mm-hmm. uh, Central in Manhattan. And basically, he looked at my forms. I worked for New York State government for 30 years. I worked yeah. for attorneys. I did investigations, so I know how to fill out yep. city state forms. He said my paperwork is fine. There's nothing else to do but the waiting game. Okay. So my paperwork is on target. I did all my um, research, my four years of bank statements. I never missed a payment. I did all supportive documentation. They accepted it. I have three docket numbers. But meanwhile, can, can I ask you a question? Meanwhile, she's stuck with so the, this current situation. The attorney situation. is 1400 $1, $1, an hour. I know. Either way, the attorneys are very expensive. I'm representing myself, but in the meantime, I'm playing the waiting game, waiting to get a new lease for February, and he's calling me in once, twice to negotiate, like, what can we do about this to make it go away? And yeah. he had three guys with him. It's a little intimidating. He's being friendly, but, but I know what he's trying did, to so do. So let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a question of us? I want to know, Yeah. Um, is it possible to withdraw a... I don't think I can withdraw a, a complaint that has a docket number from what no, I No, you can. You can. Yeah, you can. You can re- but withdraw, but. I'm not a punk and I'm not going to back down and. and no, that's up to you. So. <laughs> that's up to so, you, but I have to say that at least, you know, if he wants to negotiate, tell him, give me, let me know what your first offer is and then exactly. go from there. This, this is anyway. what he did. He said, he said one offer verbally, then he said another offer. So okay. he hasn't given me anything in writing yet. He's consulting with the, their firm. Well, listen, lawyers, I'm going to just say that we're not. <laughs> We're not lawyers, so this is beyond our area of expertise. But, but I think that you're going down the right road, 
and I wish you the best of luck. Okay? And you also have to realize that he's, if he's doing it to you, he's doing it to others in that complex. Yeah, she might check out, speak to some other people, That's right? That's right. Yes. Okay, thank, thank you, so you so much for your call. Again, our number, 212-209-2877. Let's take another call. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, you? hey what's up? And I'm hoping my issue isn't as... <laughs> But could you get a little closer to your phone or speak okay. up a little bit? Is that better? Much yes. Better. Yeah, much better. What's up? Okay. This um, is concerning. I believe there's a new local uh, law and with the city trying to make older buildings uh, become more energy um, efficient. And my, I guess my question is, is for co-ops, um, what, uh, how does that affect co-ops? Uh, well, it, it, it affects all the buildings in the city of New York of a certain parameters. They ha that's a little complicated, and there are uh, what they call uh, uh, archi uh, architects and engineers that deal with that kind of subject matter. It's quite mathematical, and, and it's complicated in order to get a building that is uh, what they call green compliant. And so the, uh, as far as we're concerned, is we're mostly involved in the physical and safety aspects of, uh, pr of property, and that's what our expertise lies because we've been doing it for so many years. This new energy kind of thing is a very complicated uh, thing, right. and I would uh, advise you, you can call 311, and they'll tell you about seminars that are going on almost right, constantly, right. where to go to find out what the, what is the obligations of a particular kind of building? Now, I'm going to just say that making pre-war buildings, older buildings, turn-of-the-century buildings, and also right. 19th century buildings energy efficient is a very problematic thing to do. We used to want to have a pre-war building, and now it's less attractive? Well, I'm not saying that. It's, and, and to a certain degree, the, a lot of these older buildings are actually healthier because they're not as tight. What they, to make buildings, they've made buildings so tight that now, you know, you have a situation where if something goes wrong, you end up with a different problem. Because the pre-war buildings, the older buildings, are not energy efficient and they leak quite a bit, mm -hmm. they tend to ventilate very well, so you don't tend to get as much moisture buildup. And I have to say that in the building science biz, um, 99% of the problems stem from water, whether it's trapped moisture, whether it's moisture that comes in from the ground, whether it's moisture that's generated inside the building. But moisture is the big problem. And if you take these buildings and you try to make them too tight, all these uh, systems that were ventilating naturally are now being stifled. Also the fact, how are you going to insulate walls that don't have insulation in them? That means almost in many of the cases there's no space to insulate or you would have to rip down the interior walls to put up insulation. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of expensive. I mean, you're talking about really renovating a whole building over. Now, they do take some of these pre-war buildings and they do renovate them completely and those buildings you can do it to but ones that people are living in that's not really going to be uh something that's going to show any real results so uh but with the new buildings that's what they're gonna have to do anyway i don't know if it'll affect you that much so uh but just keep oh no this our building is like a, in the mid 50s but i'm still thinking that there's things you know um uh, weather weather stripping 
Um, I'm trying to think what other kinds of. Well, double. Well, I'm going to say the thing about windows. Windows don't add that much energy efficiency to a building because um, the amount of uh, most uh, windows have an R value of one, which is the lowest R value you can have. By putting in double glazed windows, it just goes up to two, as compared to 15 for a wall system. 40 for a seal for a roof system so i don't see that as g gaining that much energy efficiency thank you for your call and uh let's take another call bai you're on the air hey what's up hello yes quick question yes if i'm uh signing the lease my lease is up february 29th if I'm in the middle of a complaint against my landlord, would signing that new lease negate my complaint? I didn't think so, but I just want to check I with you. I'm going to just say quickly, I, we don't know. We're not attorneys. That, okay. That's a different that's Another, a different, different show. <laughs> <laughs> but good luck. Yes. Now, uh, again, our number here is 212-209-2877. Before we get to any more calls, um, that – that caller who talked about venting in her her bedroom right now uh, I understand you do have to, you have to have a window and it mm -hmm. makes sense but what about venting in bathrooms and aren't bathrooms actually the most dangerous part of, of most houses and apartments well yeah, certain to a certain degree yes it's uh, because uh, you'll have a lot of water and moisture uh, when you shower you bathe you flush the toilet uh, everything puts moisture into the the thing that the bathroom being a very dangerous place is not so much the the way that it's worked up, but it a bathroom should have at least a window or not a window. It has to have continuous ventilation that takes the air out of that uh, bathroom area. But a bathroom itself is usually the floor is tile, and tile has a, you slip on a tile. very slippery condition, especially if you have water on the floor. So you have to have mats on the floor. What people have to do is with bathrooms, especially the tub area, you, you're using soap, and the soap gets on the floor of the, of the bathtub, and it's also a glazed surface, and you step on it, and you slip, and you hit the bathtub, and you injure yourself. I always recommend when I look at a bathroom that has no a hold on bars you should have a bars on on the long side and at least one on the short side and also i would like to see on the bottom of each you mean bar, the bars that are next to the tub where yeah, no, you, you yeah, hold yeah grab bars a yeah. grab bars that some so in case you do slip you have something to grab a hold of and also when you do bathe and stand up as the shower area not as you in a bathtub when you're lying down but if you're standing up in a shower situation you should have some frictional padding on the floor on the bottom of the bathtub so you don't slip and fall because you're washing yourself with soap and soap is a lubricant that makes the floor even more slippery so those are the accidents that happen with thousands of people across the country and yet i go into area by area and find that these bars are lacking put in those bars but to go to your initial question was about ventilation versus windows um, New York City and many other municipalities codes say of, regarding bathrooms and kitchens that if you have a window, you don't need a vent. If you have a vent, you don't need a window. That's the only place where that window vent situation holds true is for kitchens and for bathrooms. Uh, the problem is, is that I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy. Even if you have a window, you should have a vent. 
And so obviously people who rent, you don't have that choice. But people who are redoing uh, houses, who are doing, redoing their bathrooms in their houses and they have the option to put in a ventilator, it's a great idea because it does reduce the moisture because no one opens a window in the winter time. And then that's how mold grows and that's how moisture builds up. Let's take one more call. Or, well, we're going to take many, many more calls. Are we, are we just lost that call? Just one. Okay, well, let's take that call. Oh, you're on the air. <laughs> Hi. Huh. Speak. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes how you doing? Um, I, I'm concerned about, uh, I've, been, uh, I, I, I've been living in the building for quite some time, and it's went through multiple programs. But right now, uh, it's being managed by uh, just a management company. Mm-hmm. And it's an old building. Well, I shouldn't even say old. The thing is is that when they put oil in the basement, which we we used to have this problem before, but now it's severe since they so-called fixed the boiler. Yeah. In the bedroom, um, the boiler is lined up on the same line as the bedroom. Yes. And when they put oil in the boiler, like, I mean, the the odor and the stench is so strong, I'm just wondering how safe that is. Okay. So if you smell oil through the building when they fill up the oil or when they run the boiler... There's a leak. <laughs> and that, I mean, it's just, you sh- either there's a combustion gas leak, because I'm going to tell you, I really can't um, really uh, tell which smell we're talking about right now, whether we're talking about the smell of spilt oil, which is one distinct smell, or the smell of combustion oil gas, which is another distinct smell. And but I don't want to get. Either way, you don't want them. Either way, they're both bad <laughs> for you. Um, so you need to call 311. And tell them you have a complaint because this odor is toxic no matter which side of the coin it's on. And this is a bad thing. So it could be that if it's just the oil smell, the oil tank has a leak. If the oil tank has a leak, that's an environmental problem. And if there's a combustion gas leak, that's also an environmental problem, just a different kind. But they're both neat. They're both very bad. One can be producing uh, carcinogens and 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 uh, and uh, combustion and uh, uh, gases that are bad, and the other one is can be producing carbon monoxide. So you need to call three one one ASAP. Okay. Okay. I mean, we've smelled this thing for years. Man. Well, it's not. Years. You should. You. I'm gonna tell you something, and I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. You know, yell at you a bit, but there was a building that blew up in Harlem uh, a few years back. We all know about. We had two gas explosions, one on Second Avenue and one up in Harlem. And the one up in Harlem, the indication, the reports were that people smelled the gas for years and did nothing. You need to do something, and you need to do something every day. Because it needs to be reports and it needs to get someone's attention. Because I don't want to hear read about your building blowing up or you, or people dying in your building. I don't want to hear about that. You got to be persistent. Call three one one again I, I, and again. I have I have enough on me already. So will you do this? <laughs> okay. Okay. I appreciate it. Good luck. Okay. okay. The, you're listening to Letters Located at Large on non-commercial listener-sponsored WBAI New York ninety-nine point five FM.
Taking your calls for Al and Larry Ubell at 212-209-2877. Let's uh, take another call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hi, this is Matt from Brooklyn. Okay, hi, how are you? Good, good. I like that James Taylor. Very who, good. Very who good. doesn't? <laughs> He's a national treasure. Okay? Anyway, what's up? Su- I wanted to suggest to these people with these tenant landlords, issues. If you listen to Scott Selma, 8 p.m., Housing Notebook, it deals with these things. And also, Scott is one of the founders of the Metropolitan Council on Housing. Mm-hmm. And you can contact them, and they will give you guidance. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. What's up? Hello? Hello. Yes. Yes, what's going on? Okay, you started to answer a question one of your previous shows about venting over my stove. <laughs> right. You about the motor was in the inside, and then Leonard went off on some diatribe on uh, smoke alarms, and we never find, never found out. Okay. Exactly. How big do I I haven't had a diatribe on the air for a very long time. You know, it's I I know it sounds like a bit of a a pejorative, but let's go back to the question, which is, there are two types of uh, cooktop ventilators. One where the fan is actually in the hood itself, and those tend to make a lot of noise. And then if you have the space, you have the uh, availability and you have the access, they make uh, cooktop ventilators where the fan is on the outside of the building. And okay. that tends to be a lot quieter because the motor and the fan is outside. Number two, what it does is it puts all the, the hood ventilator um, uh, ductwork under a negative pressure. In other words, the fan is not pushing the air through the through the pipes. It's sucking it through the pipes. Therefore, if there are any leaks in the pipes, it doesn't blow the oily air into the cavities of the building, but it actually sucks it to the motor itself. And so for those two reasons, um, that's what I put in my house, and it's okay. much quieter and it's a much better way. One of the, co- the company that I use was a company called Braun. They make a lot of ventilator equipment, so you can look into theirs. Um, but there are plenty of other companies out there that Braun make Braun makes it. a lot of kitchen equipment. A lot of kitchen. Yeah. And bathroom ventilators also. They make a great bathroom ventilator, which turns on and off depending on the moisture level in the bathroom. So that way, ah. if you don't want the fan on all the time, you start taking a shower. It gets steamy in there. It turns on. And then it turns on until the humidity level drops and turns back off again. Or you have an override manual switch, which you could start running it in case you're using the bathroom for other the things wink wink nod nod in, in essence that kind of a ventilator is acting like a vacuum cleaner to clean the stove area and a little bit of the ref- the kitchen area well we were talking about the bathroom one just oh, now the, way, yeah. the bathroom also. but anyway um yeah though i do like those and also they're much quieter these days you can't even hear that i mean i i remember i don't know if it's just electricians just like to be a pain but it's a lot of the inspections I'm doing lately is you'll have like uh, in the bathroom three light switches two of them control lights and one of them controls the fan and they always put the fan switch first
first in the line. That way, in the middle of the night, you turn on the fan and wake everybody up in the house. Yes. I don't understand and that. The fan is so noisy. Yes, too. but these days they've gotten a lot better about it. And all these fans come with uh, decibel uh, output readings. So you should review that before you purchase one of these fans because many of them you can hardly even hear they're on. Okay? okay. Oh, no, okay, well, but now how, how, how powerful of a motor do I need? Now, I know that you, I, used to, I read something about you need to evacuate four times the amount of uh, uh, volume you, in the, I'm in the air s- to go out in a minute in the bathroom. How about for over my uh, your, over your stove? Actually, you, your, your actual stove has actually a requirement of how much ventilation it needs, and you match that up to what uh, to what uh, the ventilator puts out. But I have to say that most of the ventilators, especially the one I'm talking about, where it has an exterior motor, that one uh, will probably meet, unless you have, if it's just a, a cooktop four burner or six burner cooktop or a griddle, that should be enough. If it has a char grill on it, like one of those indoor barbecues, that one you need a little bit more, especially if you feel like doing a chicken on chicken on the grill there it's going to smoke up a lot especially the burning or the rendering fat but um you know if it's just a normal cooktop most of these fans will do the job okay. yeah, most of most of them the most of those fan motors are fractional motors what they mean is it's less than a horsepower and they're they could be a, a quarter of a horse an eighth of a horse or three eighths of a horsepower motor but well, I think what he's talking about is how many air displacement, <clears throat> air displacement. Yeah, how many cubic feet per minute? Yes, right. Or CFMs, right. and yeah. they usually mark that on the side of the device that you're buying. How it tells you how much air it mm-hmm. is moving at so, different so, settings. So when you purchase it, just look at the specs and uh, just you know and, and match it up to your your particular cooktop. Okay, okay so the thanks. cooktop will tell me how much I need. Yeah, or you just call the manufacturer or, or go on their website and they'll tell you. I don't want you. I don't want to suck too much out, but you know. And well, most of those fans. Your AC but, or your, you know. But most of those fans also have, like the one I have, has an has a uh, has a an adjustable fan, so it doesn't always have to be. It always doesn't have to be at uh, at full blast. Th- thank you for your call. Sometimes, uh, if you don't turn on the exhaust fan uh, and you're cooking normal stuff and there isn't really very much uh, coming out of the, the pan the fire alarm still goes off so that's a whole other issue uh-huh. you should, <laughs> Oops, you should uh, this is my diatribe <laughs> yes that's a whole other issue first of all you shouldn't have a smoke detector in your kitchen Oh, because, but everybody does. Yeah, but you shouldn't because it's supposed to be smoke in the kitchen. It's a kitchen. You're <laughs> cooking in there. Okay? That's like but having— you a, definitely should have one in the bedroom. No, you should definitely have them in the bedroom. You should have what you have in the, should have in the kitchen is a fire sensor. Hmm. Different. That's for heat, not for smoke. If you have heat and, and over a certain level of heat, then it should go off and it should let you know that there's a problem there. But if—I'm going to say something else— if your smoke detector keeps going off when you cook, it means you probably have an ionization smoke detector, which is really bad because they have a failure rate. Those are the cheap ones. They're, you know what? These days they're all about the same price. They're just the wrong ones. Um, they have a problem where they give you nuisance alerts from cooking. They, send, they seem to sense when you're burning your toast or you're taking a steamy shower. Unfortunately, the real problem with them is they don't go off when there's a real fire. So they see fine particulate, like what is from food, but they don't see coarse particulate, which is like when your couch is burning. Oh, boy. Yeah. So 
Put get photoelectric smoke detectors. Put them in your bedrooms or wherever you might fall asleep. You don't need it in a kitchen. Put a heat sensor in the kitchen, and and definitely have carbon monoxide detectors. And also, if you're into it, have a low level carbon monoxide detector in the kids' room. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your call. And our number is 212-209-2877 if you want to speak to Al and Larry Ubell. And we're going to take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? Yeah, hello? Yes. Hi. Yeah, hi. I want to ask uh, about shower curtains, bath curtains. I buy them every six months, and they seem to get mold on the bottom. Yeah, I know. Anything you can do about that? Yeah, I'm going to give you a suggestion. Um, I'm going to try taking the shower curtain out from the bottom when you're not using it and swinging it over the top of the of the curtain and let it hang away from the bottom. Because, so you only push it in when you're going to take the shower? Yeah, or just put it on the outside, let it dry out. Because most likely, doesn't it get moldy between the tub and the shower curtain? Yes, it's sometimes in the back of the... Yeah, that's oh, where wait, wait, that's let where me just... Ling- that. Lingers. Okay. It gets, does it get mold on the side where you're showering or does it get yes, mold? Yes, and on the front side too. On the front? On the front it's probably because it just stays wet down there, and I would try just hanging it, you know, taking the whole curtain and doubling it over the top of the rail and letting it just dry out, and that's probably the problem. It's just not drying out, and that's also probably all the dead skin hangs out also, so try to rinse off the shower curtain. Also, try spraying the bottom with, um, uh, what's that? Tilex. Tilex, which has some Tilex. Tilex seems to work really well on that also. I would give that a what, shot. What question. What do you do with old uh, smoke detectors? Um, well. I called for one. They said throw it in the regular garbage. Yeah. I don't feel like doing that. Yeah, well. They have uh, radiation in them or something. It's not really that much, to be honest with you. No. Put them in the recycle? I, I don't want to say that because that's not really a recyclable uh, piece of equipment. Actually, it's, it's more in the electronic uh, uh, sphere. So I would try recycling with electronics. That's what I would do, yeah. Okay, thanks for calling. That's my best guess. Okay, we're going to take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. Hey, what's up? I inherited an old house, and it takes a long time for the hot water to come from the heater up to the second floor where I live. Uh Is there anything that I can do to get the water hotter? That's that's a difficult thing because <clears throat> because um, a, this is a a two a two story building a three story building where how many stories is the whole building itself basement and two floors two floors well in buildings of that size generally it's what they call a two pipe system where you have cold water and you have hot water and so that the water goes all the way up from the basement wherever that heating system is to your output and that there when the, when the water is hot water is not being used the water loses its heat energy from not insulating or no circulation and so what happened is the water from that whole pipe from the basement which is cold water has to be dissipated into the sink or the tub or wherever it is until the hot water follows through in Taller buildings, they have a three-pipe system where they circulate the hot water continuously, and that's why they have hot water immediately at every fixture. But, but, uh, but there but is Alvin, a- what happens if the, she's on the second floor? What happens yeah. if the people on the first floor are also using 
hot water. They're running a dishwasher. They're taking a shower, whatever. Well, is she, she will, is she going to have to f- compete with them? No, she will get hot waters more frequently because they have already started uh, the water moving. When the water starts be, is stagnant, it loses its heat energy while it sits in the pipe, and now you have to evacuate the cold water until the hot water takes its place. But there is a solution. The solution is a recirculating pump. Put it at. Are you living in this house, by the way? Yeah. Okay. So what they make is a recirculating pump, which will start pumping, uh, which pumps water normally on the hot water side up and puts it back on the cold water side until it gets warm enough. And this will turn on and off depending on uh, the time of day or the temperature you desire. And that way, it's like my father was describing as a recirculating pump, but instead of taking the water and putting it back to the water heater, it just puts it on the cold water side of the sink. And therefore, when you go into the bathroom and run the hot water, the water will already be hot. A plumber can install that under the sink in the bathroom upstairs, and that should solve your problem. A recirculating pump. Yes. um, They're called, um, let's see, a bunch of companies make them, like Grunfoss and Watts. And they're called instant hot water or recircul or or recirculating pumps, and there are a bunch of them out there, and they are very effective. So you'd probably find that at Lowe's or Home Depot. Yeah, or Lowe's, but it's it's something you have to have a certain level of aptitude to install. In other words, you'd probably want a plumber to install it. Well, yeah. Yeah, yes. but, but it, I didn't know that there was a solution. Yeah, there is a solution to the problem. A lot of people have had this problem because uh, you're on the second floor, but there are buildings where there are ranch houses which are hundreds of feet wide, mm. and the heating system is one end and the master bedroom's at the other, and it could take close to two or three minutes for the hot water to come up, and by then you've already given up, and now you're already washing with cold water, which is probably what happens. You wait for the hot water, wash your hands, what you've done is you've given up because now you're washing it with cold water. In the meantime, you wasted all the hot water that you never used because it's already warmed up most of the pipes, but you shut it off before it got to you. <laughs> you know my story. Thank you so much. Oh, please. It's a common tale. Thank okay. you for calling, and good luck. Okay. Should we take another one? BAI, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? Hello. 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 Yes. Yeah, yes. You're on the okay, air. Thank you, guys. Uh, a great show. Listen, I live in a luxury building on the Upper East Side. Half the building is condo. The other half is 80-20 housing. Yes. In between each floor, there's a fire door. Right. The fire door opens from the condo into the 80-20, but not vice versa. Right. Is this allowed? Right. Say that again? Is, this, is that allowed? I, I don't know. I don't. I do you understand what he's saying? No, I, I okay. Have, 80 20 means I, that 80 percent of the building is market rate, 20 percent oh, of the building oh. is is uh is affordable <laughs> housing. And what he's saying is from the 80 part, you can get to the 20 part. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What do no. you say? It's the, half the building is condo and they a very luxury side of the building, right. the other side of the building is oh. 80 20 housing, right? I understand what you mean. So you could go from the condo to the 80 20, but you can't go from the 80 20 to the condo, is that it, right? Fire-wise, is that they're, they're keeping the, the riffraff out of the condo area. Exactly, exactly. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I would have to look into that. That would that has to be taken a look at by the yeah, fire department. sounds dangerous. That would be the fire department to take a look at it. Because, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm okay. sorry. I, I know those are the ho- three hardest words in the world is I don't know, but I don't know. Okay? I, I'll make it another six. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's take another call. Be 
BAI, you're on the air. Oh, no more. Okay. Uh, I guess we're, we're getting close to running out of time. But uh, there are all sorts of other issues covered by that new law, aren't there? Yes. The uh, other issues by, the, by that new law is that, oh, what happened, really what's really taken place since 9-11, a lot of things have taken place also in the new buildings that are being built. Right away, they, they realized that people couldn't get out of the building in nine during 9-11. The, the stairs were too narrow. Uh, and uh, so a lot of people were stranded inside the building during the building collapse. So now they, they increased the, the width of the building, the width of the stairs. They made uh, more stringent rules on knowing uh, how to get from one level to another. They, but that uh, only applies to new buildings. That only applies to new high-rise uh, residential and commercial buildings. They got to... They, uh, it's like almost like uh, uh, years ago there was uh, the Chicago fire, and that Chicago fire triggered a lot of new fire safety rules. And now they find because the building's getting bigger and wider and broader, they have to have more stringent rules in order for people to ingress and egress from those buildings, especially during an emergency and, situation. And Mrs. O'Leary no longer can have a cow. Pardon me? Mrs. O'Leary can't have a cow. <laughs> no. Okay. Let's uh, take – we have a few more calls coming oh, good. in. Hi. You're on the air. Hello. Go ahead. Hey, what's up? Speak to Alan Larry. Hey, Alan Larry. Yes. Go on. Hey, yeah, I live in a single-family ha- home, um, and um, I have, like, a, a washer in the basement. Uh-huh. And whenever the washer is going through its cycles, there's, like, this, uh, whenever it starts and stops, you can hear, like, a really loud thump in the pipes. Yes. Almost like they're going to come through the wall sometimes. Yes. Yeah, it's called, it's called a water hammer. It's not it's not an unusual situation and what a water hammer is is that because on the wash machines you have these solenoid valves which open and close like this and I'm snapping my fingers um, and what happens is the water is moving at a certain pace and then when the when the valve snaps shut it stops the water well all that energy and inertia mm-hmm. causes the pipes to causes yeah. the pipes to move. So yep. there are two things going on. Your building may actually have, how old is this building, home? Well, oh, it's a private house. But, but how old? Um, it was about 70 years old. So it probably has what they call anti-knock or anti-hammer chambers in the walls. In other words, when the pipes are put in for the valves of the different uh, 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 fixtures, there's, uh, you know, the pipe comes up through the wall and then it makes a right, you know, makes a turn, a 90 degree turn to where the shutoff valve is. Well, that actually, that pipe that's in the wall extends up above the valve anywhere between 12 and 24 inches and then has a dead end cap at the end, at the top. That is a that is a air chamber for mm-hmm. to absorb that energy. What you need to do is, uh, and this is a big pain, but you need to shut off. You know what you need to do is shut off the water in the house and drain the house, and let mm-hmm. all the open all the valves everywhere, every valve flush every toilet everywhere. And then let all the water drain out for about a half an hour or so, wow. and then shut those valves again, and then fill the the building back up with water. But build build it up slowly. Turn the valves on to tur- open it up. Let the water flow back slowly, so you have maximum air inside those chambers. And then you and then that may make the problem go away. If it doesn't, then you need to put um, either an expansion tank or an anti knock 
coil. These days, people are putting expansion tanks on the system to give that air cushion somewhere for the energy to go. Okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, for so ex an expansion tank. Okay, thanks. Yeah. We have time to sneak one more call in. Hey, what's up? You're on the air. Yes, good afternoon. Hi, Leonard. So you're you're really a jewel uh, in New York. Um, oh, thank you. We have a house in Shelter Island, which is very, it's very, very moist. And yes. The floorboards, which are oak, mm -hmm. um, seem to be buckling away, for, uh, buckling on, uh, away from the floor. So there you'll be walking. There'll be a little, little rise and a little fall. Yeah. Can I ask you um, a quick question before you go on? Sure. Do you have, do you have a, a basement or a cellar? Yeah, there's a basement, and the ceiling is insulated. With Let me ask adding. you a question. How often, how long, how often do you run the dehumidifier in the cellar? We don't have a. We there's don't your, have one because and it would be on all the time. That's okay. Well, except it's a waste of energy, in a way. Well, <laughs> I'm going to ask you. Okay, I'm going to ask you a quick so question. That's the answer, is just to run. Yeah, that's the answer. You ha because your humidity level is so high, you're having a moisture problem. The question is, do you want the floorboards to be flat, or do you want to save the energy? It's you got to make the choice. So and but could this ruin the floorboards? Hang on, hang on. What do you, what do you have to say? Hold on. What, what are you going to say? I'm saying so. It's just coming. It, it, I don't have to do, do me. Dehumidify the whole island. I just have to dehumidify my basement. That's correct, it, because all that moisture is coming up from the from the from the ground and through the floor, and it's causing the problem. Um, my in-laws had the same problem in their Ham in their East Hampton house, and I it took me a while to get my father-in-law to constantly run the dehumidifier, but yeah. he finally did because he said the same thing. Oh, that would use a lot of energy. I go, what do you want? You want a dry house, or do you want to save the money? Well, it's also happening on the second floor. So, but the, but if you if, but if you reduce the energy on the if you reduce the humidity on the first floor, humidity moisture wants to achieve its own level, and therefore the whole building will equalize. Okay. Okay. Very and what good. we, Lenny, what was your question? Well, I was wondering whether it, it wasn't causing damage to the floors, and so mm -hmm. maybe the he's spending more money on energy, but he would then have to spend more money on replacing the floors. Well, I don't know if he ha will have to replace the floors because once he brings well, down the humidity, the floors may flatten no, out. No, I mean again. if he never corrects it. Oh yeah, he'll probably eventually have to replace the floor. But so it, I, I put I put I stack up a bunch of stones, and then in the winter time I screw those boards into the. Okay, I'm going to But I'm just going to say that, well, that, um, that. But, but one of the things I would do is you get one of these uh 70 pint 65 70 pint dehumidifiers, set it for like 55 or 60% and let it do its thing and make sure it drains outside. You may end up buying wanting to buy one that has a condensate pump already in it or you have to have a drain into a constant source. If it's going to count on you to empty the bucket, you're never going to do it. Okay? Right. So okay. take care. Should we, do you think we can stick another one in? Okay. We can't? No. No, we can't. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. we're done. So uh is there any you have any parting words before we uh well we say goodbye? Yeah. Well, say you mean as actually advice? Yeah, advice. Advice. Well, well I have to say that, you know, uh, most of the problems that come up in buildings are moisture related. Um we're hearing ele that. electrical problems. Electrical problems, mechanical problems, those are usually, when they come up, you usually, you know them immediately. Moisture, on the other hand, is something that creeps on up to you over a longer period of time. And those are the things you have to be aware of, right? 
Well, I also like to see that wherever, which is really very, a very, uh, very interesting, that the amount of accidents that happen on stairs that mm-hmm. are that are defective is almost equal to automobile accidents. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to recognize or they don't want to repair stairs that are unequal. There's, they have stairs in their house on the outside with no handrails. A, ho- a stair without a handrail is an accident waiting to happen. You have to have a graspability when you descend or ascend a set of stairs. If you have a, a house or an outside garden with a ste- set of steps and there are no handrails on it, Get them on. That's like insurance against having an accident. And with on those uh, really important, that important note, I thank you both so much for being on our show. Thank you for uh, having us. Speaking we're, we're, with Al and Larry Ubell, who are the accurate building inspectors of Brooklyn, New York. And is there anything we, else? When we will come back again, we will show all of America how to go forth and fix, save energy, money, and do it safely. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopit at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopitAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And you can find comments about shows at all of those places. We hope you'll join us tomorrow when Stanislav Dehane will talk about his new book called How We Learn, Why Brains Learn Better Than Any Machine for Now. We'll see you then. And we hope that you'll do your part to keep WBAI financially secure. And one way to do that is by becoming a BAI buddy. Uh, Go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a sustaining member of this uh, station for $10 a month or more, $15, $20, whatever you can afford. Uh, The important thing is to help us stay on a good financial footing so that we don't have any of the crises of the sort that we just went through recently. Uh, We can only do it with your help because we are listener-sponsored. We don't take commercials. uh, Some public radio stations do. We don't. Please consider becoming a BAI buddy. Again, 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org. And thank you.